Welcome, my name is Kareem Kanji and this is episode 66. Today we have the co-founder and CTO of Toronto-based fintech company Borrowell, my good friend Salim Naren. Enjoy the conversation. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. We'll see what uh, what Thumbs happens. Up. Sure. Okay. Cool. All good. Your phone is off or on vibrate. My phone is off. I don't think my phone is ever ever rings. Neither do I. Like it's it only to, on vibrate. I keep like, it on ev- forever. I don't even keep it on vibrate. I just keep it on silent, silent. Oh, really? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Do you have like a f- uh, a watch that vibrates? No, I used to. So okay. I used to have the smart watch. Yeah. Which one? Uh, the Motorola. Okay. Uh, and I also had the Pebble before that. Yeah. Um, and I think at some point in the last 12 months, probably in the last six or 12 months, I just decided it was just too much. Too much, too much notifications. Too much notifications, too much connectivity. Too much. You needed to, you needed to, um, so then how do you, like, you, but you, do you still, do you miss calls that you need to? I do. I do sometimes miss calls. Mm-hmm. I think, uh. If it's not in my calendar, then <laughs> I'm a big big calendar guy. If something is important, we just kind of schedule it. And yeah. uh, it kind of gives you the ability to use your free time to do what's most important because you can get pretty distracted yeah, yeah, yeah. if you answer every call. And For sure. So what, now, what if, what if like Rahima calls or the kids call? Um, is there a special thing that happens to your phone? <laughs> no. No. Um, uh, you know, I think instant. You know, the kids and Rima are all instant message. The amount of the amount of times Rima calls me is far and few between nowadays. Yeah, yeah. it's like a message that you're going to get. It's a message. Guess. It's a text message. So there's there's no emergencies for you. No, I, th- I think they know where to, they'll call the office number if they'll, it's an emergency. Do you have an office number now? I do have an office number. Wow. Still. I yeah. well, I guess if you have an office, yeah, I still have an office number, and they'll like homes don't have numbers anymore. I'm I'm finding. Uh, yeah, no, this it's been interesting. We. Um, Finally, in yeah. July of this year, we disconnected from really the grid. So no more home. So we actually did port our number yeah. over to VoIP MS, and we just have internet. So we have no cable anymore. We have no um, yeah. We have no cable, no home phone. We have been on cable. We haven't had cable since two thousand. Okay. And we've had VoIP for God knows how long—five, six, seven years. Yeah. Um, but people still call. Yeah. And no. I never answer. So I, I know there's only three people that will call. Yeah. Um, so I'll know. Yeah, that must be. It's, it's either my mom and I ask her, Mom, just call my cell phone. Don't call home. Yeah. Call myself. Yeah. Um, no, I, th- I think uh, it's something that I plan to do a long time. Yeah. Uh, possibly when I uh, left my <laughs> old job. <Yeah. laughs> um, but uh, I waited until. Uh, very recently to kind of um, bite the bullet on on uh, paid services with Rogers. And I think uh, it was stressful probably more for Rahima than it was for me. Yeah. Um, you know, what are we going to do? The home phone, you know, we have pets. They have callers. What if one of them gets miss- goes missing? Like, yeah. who are they going to call? Like, I want my phone number. Um, but uh, I think um, how I know she's come around to it is like very recently Bell kind of knocked on the door and they just put five lines in our area. So they were offering quite reasonable mm-hmm. packages for two years. Yeah. And 
um, you know, I think it was somewhere in the eighty-five to ninety-five dollar range for yeah. cable and phone again and yeah. internet. And yeah. you know, we'd still pay for internet yeah. at home. Um, that that's I think the one service that's pretty impossible to get rid of with children and and just yeah. in general. Yeah. Uh, but uh, even for the extra thirty or thirty-five dollars, she's like, "We don't need this anymore." Yeah. Um, but know? we did put the antenna on the roof this summer, so I think that was. I'd had the antenna in the garage for like. That's like a knees. And he's had an antenna for a while. Yeah. And he finally. Connected. I had a, I had an antenna in the garage for, I'm gonna say three years, and I finally um, took the plunge to climb the roof and like hang over and and bolt it into the side of the, the yeah. house, and uh, lo and behold. Uh, you get you some know, channels now. We get quite a few channels. Yeah. Quite a few channels. Nice. I think it's very surprising to people how many channels you get. Well, I mean, as busy, you're probably like so busy. Like, when do you actually have time? Yeah. No, I think the one concern was just news, right? Rima and the kids, they yeah. like kind of watch Canadian news. And, okay. And not having news in the evening. Oh, that's uh, interesting. But we, no, we do not watch uh, that much. And on demand is kind of where it's at now. Yeah. But, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that's good. Now, for those of that know, that don't know, we've known each other for like a decades and, and i just feel old saying that my knees hurt yeah. when i say we've known each other for like over 30 years yeah easily over 30 years. yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna clock close to 37 i'm not that old so I don't know. <laughs> yes <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about yes um parkway forest yes near fairview mall yes um the earliest memory of you so i've got two memories one yeah. is sneaking across the street um, with money that I don't know where you got your money from. Oh, yes. But I didn't have a job back then, so no. money could only come from one place. That was probably mom's purse. Yes. Um, going sneaking, you know, we yeah. didn't have permission to go. No, we were probably six or seven or eight years old. Maybe we, a little bit. Maybe it was eight. grade three, four, or five, one of those, because yeah. that's when I was so at part. Yeah, nine to ten years old. Yeah, at the, at the top. Sneaking across the street tuck shop to buy, I don't know what it is that we bought, gum? Yeah, maybe some a little big chew, big league chew, something or like that, like right? Fizz or like, yeah. what was uh, hockey cards? Opeachy, maybe. <laughs> but we, I, for some reason, I know we got caught. We got caught. What we happened? got caught one day. Um, Someone's mom were, saw us cross the street. Yes, you were on one of the lower floors, and I was I believe, on apartment one hundred two. I believe there was some yelling, like. <laughs> I think both our moms were typical, uh, you know, <laughs> Southeast <Easy>. Asian moms. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, um, there was some yelling as we crossed uh, Don Mills Road, which is, yeah. was just as big as it is today. That's true. At the age of 10 with uh, candies in our hands. Uh, more so, I think, on the fact that we weren't where we said we would be. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I don't think it was so much on the actual candy, but yeah. it, it, it kind of then... Expanded or escalated into like, where did you get the money from? Exactly. And, and uh, how long you've been doing this for? <laughs> and, um, but it's interesting. Like, it's interesting when you think of the latitude that we we gave ourselves as children. Or well, as that first our parents generation. gave us. Yeah, as first generation. I remember. Uh, Canadians. I don't know who. Maybe it was with you, but I remember walking home from school, and you know, we cut across some other apartment buildings. Yes. And there was, this, there was a, a grass area in one of these buildings. I don't know what building it is. Yes. Um, where we'd play foot hockey or, yes. or soccer. And there was a guy who was maybe four or five years older than us. And I remember going home, literally playing from after school, going home when the sun is going down. Yes. And getting the shit. I don't know if I got beat, but like literally, like, where the heck were you? 
Uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, no, absolutely. It was a very interesting time yeah. um, that, you know, me and Rahima, my wife, we, we discuss uh, constantly on, you know, what went wrong with us, if anything, and, and how we totally, um, you know, walked around with keys around our neck, yeah, uh, did as we chose. And, you know, you'd wait for your dad to come home or, or um, and he'd come searching for you, whether it was you know, in the townhouses playing hockey or that that patch of grass. I know yeah. exactly where it is. I think it was 20 Forest Manor or, yeah. um, you know, where we were playing soccer. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, uh, it's, it's as though we didn't even ask permission. We just, you just you <laughs> had just no did. rules on us. <laughs> that was a cool place. The, the pool at the back, the, the big grass area, the hill. Um, I think it was a very unique yeah. uh, time for yeah. our culture and our, our uh, you know our, our um, being a smiley in that mm-hmm. time and in first generation immigrants yeah. and parents all settling within a, a community true um, and then also you know uh, you know times are very different in the in the late 70s early yeah. 80s like do you let your kids walk to school on their own or no so finally my daughter's 13 and oh, she's wow. finally allowed to uh, walk home so she just went to junior high school okay um, and she's finally allowed to walk home. But Rahima has been taking the kids to school for yeah. myself, uh, you know, during periods where I have been available, you know, take the kids to school and it's weird, pick eh? them up. And um, it's, uh, I'm not sure the world is, I mean, it's absolutely, uh, we, we hear more, we know more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much it's really changed. Anise uh, and I were talking, we were at Monster Truck. Yes. Maybe last week and the yes. weekend before. And we were, we were, him and I used to take the bus. Yes. I believe from Bridaltown Circle, where my parents still live, to go see ball games yes. on our own and come back. And we were trying to figure out how old were we. Yes. And we were probably the age of your eldest daughter yes. at the most. That that was like maybe the, the, you know, that I would have been that age and these would have been 10. Yeah, no, it's amazing the freedom we were given to make decisions whether they be right or wrong so yeah. i mean i have the exact same story grade eight blue jays you remember a and p dominion two dollar two dollar two dollar bleacher seats yeah, yeah, yeah and uh you know a group of us decided uh to skip a math test um and, and hit a hit a game in i'm gonna guess you know grade eight so that's somewhere in the early 80s uh you know mid 80s um and we got caught and the teacher caught us and gave us zero on the test. But the idea that we could make that decision, yeah, and um, or we felt it was okay to make those decisions and act upon them. Mm-hmm. Like how many times did you go downtown on the subway and play video games or arcade games? Yeah, Pina Plaza uh, arcade. Pina Plaza, right? You know, uh, you know, Fairview Mall. Like it was. Uh, yeah, there was like this inherent trust our parents had, maybe because they were busy. Uh, you know, working just to, you know, give us <laughs> opportunity here. Or maybe it was just they just, you know, weren't inundated with news as we are today in terms of what's wrong with the world. I remember they, getting wrapped on the knuckles with a ruler. Yeah, at, at, it's um, Forest Manor. Yes. So I think all of our parents, all of our dads were kind of that. <laughs> and your moms, too. right? <laughs> yeah. But I think it was like you did something wrong and there was very much a, a discipline that was. Yeah. Um, required or and it and it stemmed all the way down from your grandparents. I'm sure, sure. you're well aware of it. But like, if I ever did anything wrong, like for example, us, you know, 
going across the street, taking money and buying candy, yeah. you know, not only would my parents get involved, but it would become an issue with my grandparents. grandparents. Oh, for and, sure. You know, you see them regularly, weekly, and, uh, you know, you would have a sit down, mm -hmm. you know, with my, my dad's dad saying, like, do you think what you did was wrong? And, and I think it also, you know, it's interesting. So we did these things and we, we were able to also build these boundaries or these this understanding of boundaries mm -hmm. that we try and, I guess, teach our children or protect our children from yeah. today. And I don't know what the right answer is, if that's good or it's bad. Weird. Um, I think time will tell, uh, like, what that means. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I, I don't. It's something that we grapple with, or at least I grapple with. Like, I think our parents did a better job. Because I can't figure out. I don't think you could get away with corporal punishment anymore. And my friends, like, so, my, my friends laugh at me all the time. And I think we're the, we're, um, Reem and I are one of the first, are the first in our group to have children and have the eldest children by far. Yeah. Uh, of our age group. Yeah. And so, like, our kids are at least six years older than, uh, than everyone you know, else. Than yeah. everyone else. And, and, uh, we've, Rima runs a pretty tight ship, and and uh, you know there's your there's kids no, are taller than her, aren't they? They're there, they're there. Yeah, this year, <laughs> this year they caught her, um, and it's uh, it's you know it's like this idea. I don't think you can get away with uh, the things that our parents did so true. to us. Um, but I don't know, you know, if it's you know, how many times did you talk back to your mother and your mother? I mean, I know my story. My dad, my mom would call my dad at work and like, you wait till I get home. <laughs> right? Oh <laughs> like, yeah. You know? And, and today our kids talk back to Rima, and, and I tried to, I, you know, I say, you know, you can't do that. And it's more of an under, you know, helping them empathize with mm. why it's incorrect. Our parents never had the time to help us no. understand. So maybe there's some good that comes it out of getting, it. It was getting that stick out that yeah. she was just made rotely with. And... and maybe that's what kind of raises generation of people that had to become very, um, you know, empathetic on their own yeah. to just survive. <laughs> you know, uh, discipline from their parents. <laughs> so true. As well as other things that. Kind uh, of the second up. memory I have is going to your going to your, your your place, your apartment. I don't know if it was on a weekly basis, but picking up cake. Yes. Your mom was the the baker at at Five Parkway. Yes. Yeah. Or, no. Um, or the whole like all the apartment buildings in the area. Yeah. No. I think uh, my mom um, was very as all our mothers. Yeah. Um, was uh, very hardworking, and I think you know she. Um, all of our parents kind of immigrated from East Africa at mm -hmm. the same point in time, yeah, in the, in the early seventies, late sixties, and uh, you know they had the benefit of being educated with a British education, yeah, from Tanzania or Kenya or you know, so they had that uh, benefit of being educated, and I think. You know, my mom and dad both worked, and I kind of went to daycare, mm -hmm. mini school. I don't know if you remember mini school, and we also had a daycare kind of uh, okay. in Parkway Forest. That yeah, I don't, uh, that I don't remember. But I think you know, when my sister was born, she made a decision to stay at home and try and make ends meet or mm -hmm. help make ends meet, and and yeah. she took up baking. Yeah, and she started baking. Uh, you know, initially cakes for people in the community. You know, those that don't know our community, there's, you know, food at, at many events that happen and yeah. tea and cake is a staple. True. <laughs> so she became like the, uh, you know, the baker for our community. And, and from that, uh, as things progress, they actually opened a bakery. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. So like right at McNichol, um, right near where, you know, where Lil Jamal Khan is now yeah. across the street. They had, uh, they shared some space with uh, bulk food. 
oh, no uh, way. owner and maybe uh, I knew that. Some but ovens okay. and um, they they built the bakery for a few years and look at um, that. You know you you know, as time passed, that, that kind of, uh, it's a tough business, this tough labor business. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they, um, they went, they're both working still <laughs> in their 70s. <laughs> they're both back at work, though, but, you know, not, not self-employed. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. You end up going to Queen's yes. University. Yes. Math and, and comp sci. Yes. You did a master's in computer science? No. So uh, Queen's had a little bit of a loophole <laughs> where you could... Um, <laughs> Where if you were enrolled in a science honors degree, yeah. if you finish the prerequisites for an arts degree, um, you would be able to uh, get an arts degree after three years and then still be enrolled in your ah. science degree. So, um, yeah, no, I went to Queen's. I think uh, um, you know that decision was primarily driven on uh, my girlfriend and my wife at the time and mm-hmm. now uh, going to Queen's. I, so I, she yeah. went to Queen's and you followed? Yes, so she went to Queens a year earlier. Did you guys were like high school sweethearts. Yes, we met. Jeez. <laughs> yes, we met when uh, I guess I was fifteen. Oh my god! And she was a little bit older than that. Oh, she's that. older than you. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> you would never know. <laughs> I, n- no, she. I mean, she doesn't age. Your wife. Yeah. So I think you know Queens was. Um, I went to visit her in her first year. Uh, loved the campus. Mm-hmm. I think one of the. One, one of the most beautiful campuses yeah. uh, of a Canadian school. Um, and uh, In Kingston. In Kingston, Ontario. How many uh, times did you see the Tragically Hip at the bars? We saw them on, uh, you know, Frosh Week. Yeah. They actually came to Jock Hardy, yeah. uh, the arena. They, they were around quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think Queens, I, I, I'm, if there's one thing that Rahima helped me uh, <laughs> do, it's... Uh, choose Queens at university. I don't think it would have been on my radar, you know, like as mm-hmm. someone who probably uh, went enjoyed to Waterloo, technology, maybe. you know, the, the, it was, it was U of T, Waterloo. And then I just added Queens to the list to see if I could yeah. get in. Cause at the time and still, I mean, you know, you needed a certain grade or, mm-hmm. um, mark to get into Queens. And, uh, you know, while that decision was, um, initially, uh, motivated by, uh, by, by my girlfriend being at Queens, I think it's one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. And, so, so uh, <laughs> yeah. related to that, um, yeah. I, I, I asked on Facebook. Yes, if if anyone had any questions. So I know I know a few people shared that post. I didn't go and see if anyone asked there, but based on what I posted, so Shummer wanted to ask. You know, yes. my cousin Shummer. Yeah. Um, I think he's like the de facto mayor of Ottawa. Yes. Um, he wanted to know what impact did your education? You know, what impact? What was the impact of your education going to Queens? Yes. Um, and it, was it central to where you are today? D- could it have? Did it matter where you, where you went? You know, outside of you continuing yes. your relationship with 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 uh, Rahima. Yes. Um, how central was it to where you are now? Um, so I'm I'm a very spiritual person. <laughs> As uh, I think it was absolutely essential, but I think. It was a combination of many decisions in life, mm-hmm. of which one going to Queens was. I think, you know, we were we were. If you think about it, uh, I am a, a technology person today. Yeah, you know, I'm CTO and co-founder of, of a fintech. Um, at the time where we were educated, the world was very 
analog or paper. Like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. technology was just kind of, uh, you know, I, I, probably the same time. Like Queens first year was the first time you'd seen I saw email or understood what the concept of email was. Yeah. Like here's a, a passcode and a password and you know a, a monochromatic terminal that you can send messages to other people in your class. Like, Do you remember you, your first email address? Uh, yes. What, what was it? Three S A N at Queens. Uh, Queensu.something.ca. Q-Link. 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 Q-Link.queensu.ca. Do you remember Toronto Freenet? Yes. That was my first email address. AD705 at torfree.net. Right. Wow. Yeah. So I think my first email was definitely uh, as a part of Queens. I yeah. mean, being in CompSci there, like, you get email. I think you actually got email before the engineers and computer science people got emails uh, a year before the rest of the group. But I think we grew up in a very... Um, like we, Generation X, live through the transition where digital, the digital world happened. I yeah. mean, if you think of, uh, you know, your first exposed, to your first computer or your first modem or Panasonic? concept. Yeah. Radio Shack? Radio Shack was your first. Tandy? Yeah, maybe. Yeah? It was a small one. So I, I, I know how I got my first computer. So my first computer is actually, uh, I'm dyslexic. Uh, yeah. and oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so in, in grade four, uh, as as very involved parents, uh, I have problems with spelling or putting things backwards and forwards. Yeah. And, but mostly it comes out in language. You know, people don't really see the numbers going back and forth, right? Sure. Uh, very, very logical person I am. So math was always strong for me. But I remember that my parents having grave concern about my language development. Mm. And uh, I think it was grade four. So uh, if we try and figure out what year that is, that's... 86, mm-hmm. I would say, grade four, grade 85, 86. And the solution was so easy for Mr. Barry. It's like, get your kid a computer. You had my... Mr. Barry? Yes. Oh, I have to tell you about a story about yeah, Mr. Barry. Yeah. Mr. Cl- CCW, Clarence Clearwater Revival, playing in the background all the time. Like, always music. Always eh? music. Simon always and Garfunkel. Music, always music playing in his class. Right? Yeah. And his, his simple answer to my parents was, buy this kid a computer. And, you know, it was around the time. Uh, that um, I guess IBM had their XT or or so it, was, it wasn't it wasn't the Commodore sixty four days it wasn't the VIC twenty days it was mm-hmm. a few years after that okay um, and the solution was buy a kid a computer right? yeah and and get Word perfect and don't worry don't worry about language I think I wish they worried a little bit yeah I think. <laughs> um, but you know there's uh, it, it was that's how I got exposed to technology it was was because of uh, you know a, a, a you know a small learning challenge that is wild um, you know and if you think back to so we're going back to how Queens influenced my life but I think yeah. a lot of you know being in certain places certain times certain events um, if you put them all together they've influenced my life not just Queens but Queens is probably one of the the, the mm-hmm. bigger decisions that I didn't know I was making at the time yeah, but out yeah. of fate or luck or mm-hmm. um, was a great decision. But if you look at our, our lives as children growing up, you know, we went to libraries to get data. You know, how many times, how many A encyclopedias do we have? Because when you went to the grocery store, they were giving away the letter A for $1 and your oh, parents yeah. bought it. Um, and, you know, the way we got data was very paper or, or yeah. analog, right? Like, you know, if you wanted to research or, or study. So we, we grew up in this time where um, I guess you just built an inherent patience on how to, how to 
gather data and mm. I mean one of the stories I remember um, of you and Anise was uh, I don't know if you remember the Gerald converter the you know so we had TVs right yeah so they initially you you had a black and white TV then we upgraded to these huge you know those huge wooden color TVs yes and yes. then you had the dial like yeah 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 and all of a sudden cable was introduced and in our building cable just came part of the package part of the rent and there was this there was the advent from consumers distributing of this oh my god of this, of this box yeah. that had one to twelve on it but also then had oh. a dial that would then get you and it was wired 13. yes and your mom coming you guys got something happened and your mom just came and snipped the wire of the of the Gerald like we were there okay so the story is that that was my TV yeah. it was a small one yeah. in my bedroom at at, at Bridal Town Circle was that where was? in the basement okay sorry and she got I, I didn't know you were there she got mad it was or something a birthday party and she or came and she cut it yes so that you have this wired remote I like remember, not even a remote right I like, remember that converter people, click. Click, yes. And then you have a dial on the side that gives you access to 13 to 24, yeah. and then you have 25 to, and you have, holy cow, I got 50 channels, like, <laughs> and, and you think, like, this is a world um, that, you know, changed fluidly, like, as we grew up, like, we were, we were taught to accept change, you know, from then the infrared remote came, right, like, mm. you know, and you... You kind of like you, how you have wireless, right? And uh, that's and you crazy. know, I think something to put in perspective was just this Saturday. Um, I was in bed in the morning, and and me and Elisa kind of had this thing. She kind of jumps in my bed every morning, and that's kind of our time, unless she's angry at me, which has been more and more <laughs> often lately with a thirteen-year-old girl. And yeah. I mean, her way to stick it to me is not show up and, uh-huh. <laughs> and then you ask her why. And she's like, well, you didn't do this. Didn't you know? And like, <laughs> I guess so now. Like, well, you don't really have, this is not optional. Like, while well, you're in this room. <laughs> anyway, she showed up in bed and, and um, I don't know, I was somewhere and I heard a Run, a Run DMC track. Oh, man. Run DMC, Raising Hell. Yeah. And so I was on Spotify and I was playing the album and she jumped in bed and she goes, what is this noise? And I go, this was the first cassette tape I had. And yeah. I don't think... We, I've never showed my children a cassette tape. Wow. Uh, they have no concept of it. And they're like, cassette tape? And, you know, the next question is like, why are we listening to each song? I go, that's how you did it in, in, that's in my what world, it was, right? Yeah. Like, it was a 38, it's a 38 minute album, which I was in shock with. And I think I listened to it a, a million times. Wow. And you knew every track on the album, like every track. And you're trying to explain it to her, like, it's a cassette tape. I have them in the garage. So once it warms up, I'm going to show it to her. But, it's like you grew up in this analog world. You had all this change. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, our parents, and I'm sure you know this, is that you know our parents kind of, as immigrants kind of pushed. Like there were two career paths for, for us, a, mm-hmm. a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> like we want you to be and, and, and a, it was professional, always a professional, right? Like, yeah. And it wasn't like a computer science guy. There was no, there was no computer, such thing. right? Like it was like, you know. You know, my grandfather, like, I want you to be a heart surgeon. I'm going to pay for your education. You're going to be a heart surgeon. I'm like, I don't really enjoy biology, you know, like, that, like <laughs> it's not what I'm in. But I think, you know, you enter Queens mm-hmm. in, a, in a subject matter where there's been very limited education to the public school system. Yeah. Like, you know, with typing in, in high school, right? I remember like, that. Summer typing. school. Like, how many words can you do a minute, right? Yeah. There's... You know, you had your physics, which was kind of neat. You know, that had the engineering aspects of, of the world. And you had your chemistry. 
but you didn't really have anything on data or digital. No. So you make a choice based on math or logic to yeah. pursue a, a career in computer science. And, so interesting. Um, Queens not being known for computer science. Mm -hmm. um, I think what I learned after four years or looking back in retrospect of my education at Queens was that, you know, the whole, and it might be different today, but at that point in time in 1993, the whole experience of going through university is really growing and learning how to learn, not yeah. necessarily the actual The actual degree content. that you get or, yeah. And I think... What Queens added for me, at least, was um, a very uh, di diverse for me population. I think we all grew up very uh, incestually in the community. Mm -hmm, so it gave mm -hmm. me uh, the ability to branch out from what my norm was and ex you know, be exposed to other cultures. But a, a group of people that uh, were smart. Yeah. And you know, the whole work hard, play hard um, like work really hard mm -hmm. and also enjoy life. And I think everybody, you know, university is also about freedom. And I, Queens kind of really, my best friends, um, I mean, I have best friends from growing up and, yeah. and, and but I have a few of my best friends are people that from I Queens. met at Queens. You cool. know, they're part of my wedding party. And I think the other thing Queens was, was just far enough away from Toronto that you didn't come back except for, like, long holidays. So, like, yeah. reading, reading. You grew up. Right. Yeah. So you kind of did... It was two and a half hours. I think, like, under two hours was just enough to, like, run You're not going to go home every weekend. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that's why your knees and Pfizer went away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, it, it was mm -hmm. a great group of people, um, very small university at the time, like 13,000 people. Very, you know, the campus, if you've ever been to Queens, is very isolated from the rest of the city. Hmm. It's like a city around the campus. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, so I think it's, it, it, you know, me and Reem have this debate all the time. I, I totally want my children to go to Queens and, and she's, they, they're going to make their own decisions. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got a, I got a bunch of questions from people. Yes. Uh, but I also have uh, some questions I want to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, so in 2000 and I want to say 14, 15, maybe 13, around that time, you go from working in corporate yes. to starting your own business yes. slash businesses. Yes. Um, so a bunch of questions come to my mind yes. from that. Um, why did you want to be in business for yourself or start your own company? No, I, I think... Um you know, if you go back to uh, my past, I think my parents, in terms of a bakery, mm -hmm. had some type of entrepreneurship. All of our parents as immigrants were entrepreneurs. They had their own business somewhere. Right. Yeah. They, they picked up and they started a new life in a new country. And yeah. I mean, that's probably the biggest piece of entre entrepreneurship. I think um, I was very blessed in the sense that after I finished my education, uh, while I didn't, you know, I didn't... Um, gravitate towards like the Microsofts like this is mid 90s mm -hmm. I didn't gravitate towards technology or engineering first companies um, I took roles in companies where the CEOs or the heads of the companies did understand the value of of digital or technology yeah so I think from a you know my very first placement um, after university at an international paper um, where 
you know, they had uh, a System 36 AS400 that ran their billing. Uh, they were in the process of implementing Windows for work groups hmm. with uh, a deck, uh, you know, digital uh, equipment, computers, uh, you know, PathWorks um, application that actually managed their manufacturing line. So, like, very industrial, like, uh, you know, engineering, like, computers, networks. Um, so I, I think, you know, from that position to then being um, going to a company called Synergy Asset Management, uh, which isn't on my profile, but Synergy Asset Management was is a, was a mutual fund company. Okay. That was started by um, a Joe Canavan uh, in 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I had had uh, the privilege of working for Joe when he was at GT Global um, and he had known I was doing computer science degree, and he, I think he had the foresight to understand how technology was going to enable financial services, and he really pushed, or him and Christine, um, really pushed for me to join them at a very early stage and run their technology. And I think um, while I did not, I've taken a very different route to become an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, I was very blessed to be taken under the wing of certain mentors or certain people that understood how uh, technology or, or digital will affect um, their companies yeah. in non-traditionally techno- you know, technology spaces. So, you know, you learn a lot of lessons along the way and a lot of trust is put into you and you, you know, inherent with the nature of our upbringing is you learn to work harder than everybody around you hmm. and, you know, learn to hustle. And I mean... I had done this, um, you know, at, at Synergy was a startup. So I was there okay, uh, yeah. at Synergy, obviously not in a founder role, sure. but as a head of technology in early, uh, you know, in late 19, so 1998. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we brought things like the BlackBerry to portfolio managers when the BlackBerry still wasn't like, you know, we were one of the first early adopters of, of, of the BlackBerry. You yeah. know, the, the one that ran on the AA, net, AA battery on the Motronics paging network. So I think... You know, we, wow. we adopted CRM before Salesforce was mm-hmm. invented. And so there was a real understanding by, um, you know, the leaders of the companies that I worked for, the value of technology. Yeah. So I think um, while I didn't work in founder, uh, you, you know, companies, um, Synergy was then later sold to mm-hmm. CI Funds. And I t- kind of took a step back at that point and took some time off and and spent a lot of time, you know, with the kids being born and with Rahima at home and doing some consulting work. Um, and I think 18 months after I had left Synergy, uh, yeah. which I bought by CI, I joined a logist, uh, a security guard firm called Securitas. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, the, the president there, uh, new president, um, Canadian president, saw the value in applying technology to logistics or to very basic mm. concepts. So timekeeping and people management or... You know, one of the biggest projects we did there is, was uh, it was at a time where humans were being replaced by cars. So, like, security guard services is to watch a premise to see that something happens. And there was the advent of patrols and uh, inspections that could happen where a person could manage multiple sites in a mm-hmm. vehicle. And how do you then – there was no technology in the industry to manage these. Like, yeah. So I think having these mentors or these people that – saw um, how to adapt technology to certain verticals where it wasn't uh, inherently the norm um, was very uh, was a blessing in disguise. And I think, 
you know, my very last stint was back in financial services after Securitas with a, with a company called Paradigm. And mm -hmm. um, it was to build, uh, you know, loan adjudication, loan underwriting, loan servicing, um, collections, and, and build up these banking systems on a newer platform. Yeah. And um, as I went through that stint and, and things changed in different companies, um, you know, a kind of flash or a, a, a light bulb goes off that we're kind of at a certain point in the digital revolution mm -hmm. where technology or, or digital or the internet or compute is now able to be effect, like cost effectively applied to businesses where it used to cost a lot of money. So to, to give you an example, I, I was part of, you know, I led a team that built a loan servicing and underwriting platform and this you know, at Paradigm, and this started in 2010. Just the infrastructure costs at that time of on-prem, so on-premise computers. So for people, like, that's having servers in a data center at point A and then for redundancy because you're dealing with financial services, yeah. to have them data, just to put the infrastructure in these places was millions of dollars. Wow. So there's a barrier of entry for um, companies just on the infrastructure side, let alone, you know, language or compute or, or you know, disk space. And I think um, if you look at today and you look at cloud and you look at technology um, platforms, um, a lot has changed in seven years to make that a commodity at this point. No, right? yeah. Like, yeah like, now you it know, is. like, compute is is cheap. Like, you know, infrastructure, there is no cost to infrastructure. It's it's kind of yeah. just there. Um, so I think uh, we're at a point where, uh, you know, so you go back, you, you're, you see Paradigm grow up and have an impact on mortgages in the Canadian space, you know, huge, huge number of mortgages come through Paradigm. And you say, like, there's something bigger to financial technology. Mm. And I think when you look at banks and you look at the Paradigms um, and you look at Canada, you know, Canada is one of the most profitable banking sectors in the world. Um, and, and I don't know the numbers exactly, but I think it's the four, fourth most profitable banking. Really? Uh, the big five banks, yeah. or big six, if, if you include, you know, uh, NBC. But... Um, it's it's a very profitable in sector in mm -hmm. Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something Canadians are very proud of too. You know, very I stable. Mean, Would that be correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. stable. Uh, very stable. Uh, you know, services Canadians well. Yeah. Um, you know, rarely do you hear people say they have problems with their banks um, or that they complain about their banks. And I think when you look at innovation, um, if you have uh, an area of high profitability. Mm -hmm. that is providing services, um, if you're looking to innovate or you're looking to, to facilitate change, um, that is, you know, it's consumer services that have high probability. You know, when I ran into Andrew Graham, uh, my co-founder, and uh, also Eva is one of my co-founders, but Andrew and I met exactly three years ago, I would say. You know, his idea of... Um, changing the way lending uh which is a global idea it's nothing new to canada it's, no, it's no. uh you know this is being done globally uh i think what's different in canada is reg the regulatory constraints um and challenges but the idea of taking technology 
and making lending transparent or fair, mm-hmm. you know, faster and, and friendlier. Um, it was the right time mm-hmm. to, you know, with the, uh, the commoditization of, of, of infrastructure and technology and with the, um, the maturity of the internet, of mobile, um, all these things, it was the perfect time for Canada for us to, to start a company in Canada borrow well where we offered you know fast friendlier loans to canadians mm-hmm. so i think you know while i wasn't didn't take a traditional uh route to entrepreneurship yeah i think i was very blessed in the sense that the, the people i worked for or worked with mm-hmm. always saw technology as an asset yeah and um i finally got to the point where i had an opportunity to uh, you know this opportunity presented itself and i was able to capitalize on the opportunity and I think if I was to talk, it, it's it's a very good uh, people fit between Andrew and myself. Yeah, was uh, there a fear of leaving that stable, you know, paycheck to paycheck job to sort of go into something where it's like you don't know, do you? So I think that's a really good question, and I think um, they spend a lot of time mentoring uh, entrepreneurs yeah. and business ideas, and I think one thing that um, one message I say to all of them is that this this journey becomes a lot easier when you are financially stable or sound. Mm. And I think me working for the first, um, I guess, 17 years of my career yeah. and making appropriate choices uh, gave me the ability to take a risk. Because it is a risk. It's not for everybody. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, You don't know what tomorrow... Uh, entails and many especially in the beginning um i think so the first thing being in in a in a sound position financially or whatever your responsibilities may be Mm -hmm. so that um you can take that risk uh with the right mindset that it's going to take a lot longer than you think it's going to take um and it's going to be a lot harder than you think it's going to take is is point one you need and i think the next thing is to have people around you that um share your vision and support uh, a common goal. So having co-founders, having um, you know engineers, uh, you know people around me that believe in the idea, that believe in us as as very smart people. I think it makes this journey more uh, achievable. Hmm. I think you know one thing that I've learned without a shadow of a doubt is that um, these things take longer. I mean, we met when I left uh, Paradigm. Uh, I, I, you're one of the few people. I, you're one of the people I, I met up with. You made some introductions to a gentleman named Farid for yeah, me, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I didn't understand it at the time. And you were actually in the midst of a startup. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, it is much harder than people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reality is somewhere in between. What what you see on the TV. public, the public <laughs> yeah. your public perception yeah. versus how an entrepreneur feels, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you know, that's where reality is. But I think uh, you know, it it took a very different approach to uh, entrepreneurialism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, it was a very logical uh, fit in the sense that it's financial technology. I'm very well versed, have connections in the space, mm-hmm. uh, understand technology understand finances love people yeah um love the idea of 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 b2c um and finding the right 
person to partner with and being surrounded with the right people to make it happen. And I think cool. that only happens for me going through that path of, you know, Parkway Forest, Forest Manor, <laughs> you know, Don Valley, Henry, Queens, you know, and, and meeting these other yeah, mentors yeah. along the way that, that kind of helps shape you and, and you True. take from. Yeah. Nice, nice. Okay, so I'm going to end off with a bunch of questions from people. Okay. Because I think they're all good, and, and I'm going to try to ask them in, in a good sure. order. Yes. Um, so question number one comes from Karima. Mm-hmm. Karima Jamani. Yes. Um, so what differentiates your company yes. from other lenders? Yes. Her example is Mogo. Yes. Uh, and then do you secure your loans against any collateral? Yes. So I think there's two things that uh, differentiate. Mogo is definitely in the space. Mogo mm-hmm. um, plays in a credit spectrum that's bigger than than Barwell. So with Barwell, our product is primarily um, primarily for good credit Canadians. Okay. So I think our um, our uh, philosophy is that uh, good credit Canadians deserve options mm-hmm. and um, fast and fair and friendly options. So typically, uh, you know, our we play in six a credit score of six sixty and above, whereas Mogul plays in the entire spectrum all the way from payday to uh, subprime to prime. Yeah. So I think they play in a bigger gamut, and they've moved into other spaces as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Mogo's been around for a long time. Uh, you know, we are, uh, in terms of differentiating, I think we have different um, ethoses or different mm-hmm. beliefs on on lending products. But primarily, if you were to compare our uh, 660 and above product yeah. to Mogo's, they're... they're they're very similar. They're very similar, sure. Um, in the sense that you can apply for them online, you get uh, instantly adjudicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us, it's really um, the customer service and the experience uh, that Borrowell has. Um, mm-hmm. With uh, in terms of sec- you know security against loans, are all of our loans are unsecured, so we don't. Uh, Hence, why you deal with good credit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So all of our loans are unsecured. Uh, the, you know, the loan sizes range from one to thirty-five thousand, and rates go from five point two, five point two, to the mid twenties. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, primarily we've seen Canadians use our loan really for for debt consolidation, mm-hmm. uh, but as well as other things, home improvements and and uh, you know, weddings, vacations. Cool. Um, Sean. Yes. Sean Power. Yes. You know him. I believe I know Sean Power. Okay. Do you um, know Sean Power? He used to work for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so his question is blockchain slash Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. Future or fad? Um, so I'm going to take a very, uh, you know, arm's length answer to this. Absolutely future. I okay. think. I think the iteration of what it looks like in the future is different than today. Yeah. I don't know um, if... The general public. I don't know if you've transacted with Bitcoin or, or I have haven't. Not. Um, it is. It's interesting. Yeah. It's uh, definitely you know not consumer friendly or like our parents friendly. Yeah. Um, I think the premise of having a decentralized or a cryptocurrency as well as a you know a decentralized um, bookkeeping or ledger mm-hmm. is very powerful. And mm-hmm. I think you know not having um, you know, a bank controlling a book of records and having it systematized, whether it's, you know, data in general, having uh, these these uh, these 
this validation that happens at multiple points yeah. on data is an, a, a very important concept. And I think it'll, you know, in the next 10 to 10 years, uh, it'll be applied in many different businesses. I think Bitcoin itself, today as it stands, um, until like a government or a bank kind of adopts it or some version of it, it will be very hard to become mainstream. Mm. Uh, we still live in this kind of world where uh, Bitcoin is considered, uh, you know, a, a dark currency. Yeah, um, people are looking for security, safety. I think until a bank, and it, you know, maybe it is private blockchain mm. that, that is the answer or some type of hybrid of private and public blockchain. For people that don't sure. know what Bitcoin, Bitcoin's a cryptocurrency that's mm -hmm. very, it's mathematical. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, it's generates. So people uh, like you get it. Yes. I have no clue. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it's like a, a currency and uh, transactions are validated by, uh, by algorithms basically. Yeah. So, you know, it, there's no person that validates whether a transaction is good or bad, but there's these rules that points of, uh, points understand these rules and they validate things that mm. happen uh, by seeing do those rules follow uh, what should be done. I think that's a very powerful concept. I think some iteration of blockchain yeah. will be uh, embedded in business in, in the very near future, actually. But it'll be private blockchain. Uh, that's my thoughts. I you could be this, very You have wrong. this smile on your face like you guys are doing something about it. So I'm very curious. I, I, you know, I think, listen, there's a lot of issues to be solved a lot of challenges to be solved in fintech today it's mm -hmm. a very nascent space in canada and i think uh um you know we do think about emerging technologies and how they what role they will play yeah um not only at barwell but in in financial services in canada in general interesting uh, but there's a lot there's a lot more uh there's, there's a lot we need to yeah there's st still some time cool alex cond yes does he feel, does, do you, yes. do you feel that the Canadian regulatory environment helps or hinders the growth of fintech companies? Um, I don't think it, you know, this is an interesting one. As a fintech that started in 2015, mm -hmm. live to the public, but actually incorporated in 2014, um, if you look at uh, you know, some of the facts of building the technology out versus the legal uh, aspects of a loan agreement, mm -hmm. we, we probably spend more on the legal side. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, regulatory bodies like the OSC or, or fiscal or these different right are have have a have an appropriate place in Canada, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and they are making they are understanding that the landscape is changing and they have started putting together, you know, focus groups or working groups that um, are looking at fintechs and how to help fintechs. I think uh, it is not as simple. There's a complexity to financial services, um, and there's a level of trust, and there's a level of um, security and, and uh, data integrity that it is important to have these regulatory bodies in place. Hmm. Um, I don't think they help or hinder at this point, but I think they're learning. They're trying to become more yeah. helpful. I think that it's part of playing ball in this. It's the rules of... of, of of financial services today. It's the rules that the banks abide by. It's the same set of rules that we're, mm -hmm. you know, AML. There, there's there's reasons for these rules. Mm -hmm. um, it's part of the strength of our, our banking, our financial services sector. Yeah. Um, 
and it isn't like selling a widget, right? This is people's money. Yeah, yeah. This is what people work for. Yeah. Um, this is what, you know. Uh, so I think there's an appropriate place for them. Um, and maybe that's a very political answer, but I think <laughs> they, are, they are, you know, we've seen um, definite directions to become more fintech friendly. I think both, even on the bank side, you know, the, our partnership with CIBC, like, the idea that over the last three years, it's you know, friend or foe, it's more, it's not. We're both trying to solve the same problem, and that's yeah. give an experience or give Canadians uh, better or easier products that that make sense to them, right? So, why does a company like CIBC want to work with you? <laughs> um, I think, I mean, we should have CIBC here, but I think at the very highest levels I think there's a lot of support that Canadian consumers deserve uh, more transparency mm -hmm. and easier access to products on their terms so I think you know some of some things that would probably find very interesting about Borrowell yeah. is that our you know the average age of our product is like you know, someone taking it is 40 it's 40 like 41 it's not millennials that mm. are taking loans from us they're, yeah. they're you know they're Canadians my age that um, you know, are looking for something that's convenient and something that they can do from the convenience of their home that's easy to understand. And I think banks are are coming around to the idea that consumers deserve better experiences. And I think what we, because we're so focused on, you know, one product, being digital, being online, mobile, we're able to put and invest a lot of time in that experience. Mm. And I think it's much easier uh, for banks to to partner at this time. And there's also something to be said about the brands. So, I mean, you know, the, the product is co-branded with Borrowell and CIBC, and, and we attract different brands. And I think there's strength in banks um, evolving, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to digital. And, and a lot of money is being spent on labs and banks. And yeah. every single bank has opened a lab and is looking to implement new development methodologies and, and being customer first and, and through digital. So I think um, it, it's actually a very, while it seems odd that such a big bank would partner with somebody like Barwell, I think it, you're going to see more of this Interesting. Uh, in, in, in 2017. Nice, yeah. nice. FISA yes. has a question. Yes. What will you what will you teach or maybe you've taught your kids um, about taking risks in life and work the way you have in the startup world or, or have you taught them already? So I'm curious about that. This is a really interesting question. I think this is something that um, of the group that I currently work with, we're, you know, 20, 22 people uh, having the eldest children. Mm -hmm. um, I think going through this three year journey, my children are at a very um, impressionable age in terms of what does dad and mom do for for a living. Yeah. And I think um, something I'm sure you were brought or instilled with is like you work hard for, for people growing up. Like we saw our parents work oh, very yeah. hard. Yeah. I think um, I think what this has shown my daughter at least and I, I, I'm just thinking back to 2014 when we first launched the site and she would sit me, see me code from from the sofa, and she she literally sit on my lap. What are you doing now? And you know, you do CSS changes, or she's like, "Oh, look, you can move this field." And I think 
what's been amazing for them and which will pay back huge dividends is that they've watched someone very close to them mm-hmm. do something that um, you didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but you still took that risk. And I think she laughed like, oh, you only have one loan and you only have two loans. And, and I remember like... Yeah, this is when you point. first started. Yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> and it didn't take long. But I think, like you know, a year later, you, you share the number, and she's like, "Holy cow! Like, that's crazy!" Yeah. And like you know, so I think for my children at their age, so like you go back, you know, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Now, um, it's been a huge benefit for them to watch dad mm-hmm. um, take a risk, yeah. and build something from scratch. Mm-hmm. I think it'll pay back. It, you know, in the same way that I was, we were taught like work hard for people, treat them good, respect, discipline. You know, I have a story when I left uh, Synergy and mm-hmm. somebody from my family like sat me down and said like, really, you were getting paid such great money and like we worked so hard to give you this opportunity and you got educated and yeah. you know, like and you just walk away from that. And, yeah. and I think um, while that's, that's a perspective to look at, mm-hmm. I think uh, you know, when we started Borrow Well, um, the ability to affect Canadians, yeah. like mass Canadians, uh, and give them products that they deserve, and also like internally build a financial services company mm-hmm. that is attracting talent. Like, let's be honest, how many you know youngsters are gravitating towards you know banks and, and wanting to deal with legacy? So, like, I think you know internally at Borrow Well, like one of our big you know goals is is to really employ smart people and attract them into financial services and really like build hmm. um financial services from a from a digital technology point of view because it can be pretty sexy like it, yeah. it's not you know it might not be snapchat but you know these are real <laughs> things that yeah. every every i wouldn't say every like 99.9 percent of canadians are going to be using yeah <laughs> you know and 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 borrow and and lend and save and so these are core products that we need that haven't really been uh changed in 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 decades right you know like a mortgage is a mortgage is a mortgage yeah there's there's, so there's definitely opportunity in financial service so attracting people into financial services as well as showing canadians and giving canadians options Mm -hmm. um are kind of you know it's a very uh good space you know an exciting space to be in so i think my kids we're back i think if there's one outcome successful or not successful i think my children seeing me go through this journey seeing us you know be a little bit more you know cost conscious not getting mm-hmm. the iphone and getting the android even after getting a three-page letter from my daughter why she deserves an iphone you know these are that's These a are, good thing. Three-page letter? That's yeah, awesome. three-page letter highlighted on why she deserves an iPhone. And, you know, everybody says, get her an iPhone. And it's like, no, you know, we made decisions in life. Um, it's not that, you know, my parents, you know, this is a conflict I have had. My parents put $5,500 on, on an IBM XT clone because the teacher wow. said, get him a computer because he can't spell. Yeah. And here I am, like, depriving my children of, like, an iPhone, which, you know, is a thousand, you know, let's, let's say no contract, thousand bucks, right? Yeah. And but it's more than that. It's I think them seeing that there's more important things than things. Yeah. Uh, there's more like people. That's and, awesome. Man. It, I think those lessons will go so far in their yeah. lives. I'm hoping. 
That's maybe it. make up for the lack of like trust we give them or <laughs> lack of freedom we give them. Uh, you know. Fair enough, man. Yeah. It must feel good though. I mean, to when I, you know, sat down, like, maybe it was yesterday or the the night before, saying, okay, you know, I know Salem, I know a bit of his story and stuff. I, I know what I want to ask. I've got all of these people asking questions. So I, you know, I've got enough material, but you know, do a Google search on on Salem Naran Barwell, and you've got two, three, four pages on you know Google search results that are giving you guys you know glowing reviews, um, and are talking about how you guys are you know making a dent, making a difference. It must feel good. No, it absolutely feels good, and I think it feels good for probably um, there's obviously the pr- public perception yeah. of it feeling good. I think. What feels uh, better is that we kind of set out to do something, and we're n- by no means out of the woods of doing something. We're three years old. I yeah, mean, it's ask still me young. In, ask me, <laughs> ask me in seven more years, like where we are. But I think um, it is it is great to find um, a team of people, smart people, work with them day in day out that share the same passion mm-hmm. about um, a product or you know a, a thing, and I think. That's more rewarding. And then, I mean, the flip side is people that use our product. And, and you know, you know whether it's the loan product or it's giving transparency to the credit score and giving Canadians their credit score so they become a little bit more financially literate and, and understand their, their, you know, their financial health. And were how, you guys the first ones in Canada to do that? We were the first ones now in Canada. Now everyone's following suit. Yes, yes. So we were the first ones to launch in Canada. We partnered with Equifax, who's been you know, a great partner, uh, to provide Canadians with their credit score. Why and, did we have to pay for it before? Um, you know, so I think, I mean, there was a reason for us to do this. So we launched with a loan product. Uh, one of our, you know, not everybody gets approved for a loan. So I think one of our... Uh, mandates or one of our goals was to be very transparent on why you get approved for a loan and you don't get approved for a loan. Mm-hmm. And one of the data points we use is a credit score. Yeah. So for us to then offer that to Canadians and be transparent and then provide them with also education, if you go to our site, education on how to improve your credit score, what goes into a credit score. Like Canadians are very, um, I don't know what the word is, like, Laxadical or apathetic to, you know, they just take for you know, you go into walk into a bank and ask for a mortgage and here's your rate, right? What what went into that and and why is it that way? Can I improve it? How do I improve it? I think, you know, Canada is at a very interesting time where people um, were at the forefront of educating Canadians on on credit score. So yeah, we were the first ones in Canada to launch the credit score product. Uh, we've had I think two hundred and seventy thousand. Canadians get their credit score from us. Wow! Yeah, it's not it's not a small number, you know. In six hey, months, advertising on the Blue Jays games. Yeah, I know Blue Jays, wonders. Leafs games, uh, Leafs games as well. Yeah, I heard today. I got a note from a friend saying he saw us on TV. I'm like, we have no TV ads. They were playing the the radio, the you know, the announcer cast. Okay. On TSN. Nice. And uh, our ad was being read. Um, <laughs> no, I think you know, uh, and it takes time to build a B two C brand, especially in financial services. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of work and, and a lot of sweat. and um, But it's great to be surrounded with people that share that same vision and passion. Nice, man. Um, yeah. Good. Thanks for coming in. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs>